Hello and welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we discuss canon, legends, and beyond. Tonight we will be discussing Splinter of the Mind's Eye by Alan Dean Foster. My name is Beth Van Dusen and with me as always are Chad J. Schonk and Ryan Schweck. So over to you, Chad. This is your reminder that this is a book club, not a review show. So uh, we're going to expect you to have done the reading before come in here or not care about spoilers. We also may spoil other things Star Wars related. In fact, I know we're going to spoil a little bit about the season two premiere of The Mandalorian. Uh, so this is your spoiler warning. You have been warned. So uh, Ryan, Mandalorian came back. Yeah, we won't go into Mandalorian too much because I'm sure we will do an episode of the Needless Things podcast once it's over reviewing the season. I believe Uh, we're obligated by law to do so. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Kind of relevant to our Execute Chapter 66, we got Cobb Vanth from the Aftermath books. I don't think they were being too careful about trying to hide that's what was going to happen. But it was still really cool to see him. I mean, you know, they changed the story from the book, which I don't know if it was 100% necessary. But judging from the reaction that Cobb Vanth has gotten, I'm guessing we are going to see more of the character. You're bearing the lead. Why, Why does everyone love him? Because he's played by one of the sexiest people to ever live. Yeah, and you know, it's kind of cool that he's the marshal, and there were some definite parallels between his other shows. So, multi, you know, multi, 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 He only plays marshals. That is true. He's currently on Fargo, playing a Mormon cop, Mormon like Marshall. He, and then, of course, Justified, and of course, Deadwood. And uh, Tim Oliphant gives real good Marshall. I would love like a Star Wars Al Swearingen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they can't do it, but it would be just wonderful. I didn't have a problem with the changes they made to his story. I, I don't feel like they took away from anything. I I kind of like the idea of him being saved by Jawas. I, I like when Jawas get a little more story than just scavengers. Yeah, I, I kept watching because I've obviously watched it several times now. <laughs> and I was like, man, he really picked up how to use this Mandalorian armor real fast. Like when he goes flying, I was like, that's got to be a skill that you learn. It's been like five years, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, depending, I guess, when he found it. it I mean, they like- don't say exactly when he got it. I, I'm going to be honest with you. It was so long ago that I read Aftermath that um, I forgot. I it, Halfway through, I was like, wasn't there a character like this? <laughs> it, it was about, yeah, it was about halfway through when I remembered this character already existed because I just it's just been so long since I'd read Aftermath. It's also just an interlude, I think, right? Yeah, it's, it's like two pages. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's real quick. Um, but yeah, mostly, you know, we got a lot of Mandalorian stuff. Other news, Adidas released some sweet new <laughs> Star Wars shoes. They did a whole Mandalorian collection. There's some like Baby Yoda shoes, some other ones, but I totally bought $100 Darksaber shoes. And I don't even wear Adidas, but when you posted those, I was like, yeah, th- those are some pretty sweet shoes. They're so awesome. They're going to be here on Sunday. I cannot wait. Nice. My children, you know, who want to get like Nikes and all that junk. I was like, look at my sweet shoes. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, God. They're they're still going to think you're a nerd. Oh, well, yeah. I'm going to be wearing Star Wars shoes every day. <laughs> I got my uh, I got my plastic Darksaber. I just got the one from like a Target Darksaber. Uh, I really want a good one, though. This is what I got for now. And it's nice. And I got my Black Series DJ from uh, Star Tours. Oh, yeah, I just got him. Special place in my heart for uh, Star Tours. Um, in other news, the Star Wars Lego Holiday Special trailer dropped. Have y'all seen this yet? I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> Not yet, no. It's pretty good. 
Is is it about Life Day? It is about Life Day. Nice. Yeah, it's going to be about Life Day. Uh, Ray is the main character, but apparently it involves, on Life Day, Ray traveling through time to different eras of Star Wars. <laughs> Kylo Ren is with her for some of this, and it looks hilarious. It's got shirt off Kylo Ren at one point. Well, yeah. It looks really funny. So, Is there a Lego lumpy? For Life Day. I'm trying to think if I saw a lumpy. There was definitely a Chewbacca. There were definitely lots of Ewoks involved at one point. I bet I want to say there might have been a lumpy in that trailer. It just sounds like a robot chicken episode. It When you watch it, it looks almost like a robot chicken episode. <laughs> Some of the stuff they say and do. Yeah. But I think it's going to be funny. It comes out on November 17th, I believe. So. Nice. That's coming up soon. And then our big novel news, they have shown or revealed, I guess, more of the High Republic. They went ahead and revealed kind of two things. We know a little bit more about the setup. I guess this what the great disaster is. is going to be some sort of hyperspace accident that causes a bunch of problems in the universe. But more interesting, we got a good look at the nil. Um, and kind of nihil, however you're going to say it, who are split up, I guess, into these three divisions called Tempests. And they have like little pirate gangs, I guess. And then there is one position called the Eye, who is led by Marchion Rowe, who is, I guess, our main villain. The design looks really, really cool. So looking forward to that. But more interestingly, there are two, I guess, antagonists in the High Republic and the other is called the Dringil. Dringir. Who knows how you say that? <laughs> but have you seen these things? No, I've, I've been staying away from any kind of spoilering. Well, then you are on the wrong podcast, lady. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yep. So these Dringir are a force. They're sentient, but they're just kind of like an invasion. They are crazy looking. They're all tentacles and teeth, and they are plant-based. And they are just go to planets and take over. So to review, plant-based teeth tentacles. Where have we heard this before? So it's, it's a race of Audrey twos. <laughs> <laughs> While you think that, sure sounds like the Vong to me. <laughs> it does. It does sound like the Vong. <laughs> Here they come. So yeah, I, I, I thought it was pronounced Grisk now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. They're going to be a, a mixture. So yeah, that was our main Star Wars news. You know, I imagine our news for the next couple of weeks is going to be nothing but Mandalorian type things. But hey, that's okay. So this week we are reading the oldest Star Wars uh, expanded universe novel, the very first Star Wars sequel. And so Star Wars's roots. There's a lot of roots to Star Wars when Lucas first created it. Uh, obviously, he was inspired by uh, Akira Kurosawa samurai movies. A lot of it's based on real life with the rise and fall of the Roman Republic and also Hitler. He was inspired by World War One and World War II movies. But one of the big influences on Star Wars and Indiana Jones as well is, of course, is the B-movie serial. And so I thought we'd talk for a second about one of the staples of B-movies. And I think one of Star Wars's um, most telling uh, features that they've carried forward from B-movies is their use of monsters. It seems like every Star Wars story has to have a super, super cool monster in it. This book is no exception. Uh, actually, Splinter of the Mind's Eyes uh, uh, got a lot of monsters. So we thought we'd take a second and just talk about a couple of our favorite, maybe off the beaten path, uh, Star Wars monsters a little bit. So Ryan, what did you come up with first? So one of my favorites they did, and this one appeared on The Clone Wars, was the Zillow Beast. <laughs> that was like on my list <laughs> <laughs> you know the Zillow Beast the design is crazy it looks like a giant 
lizard type thing with some weird, like the feet are kind of almost tubular kind of. And then for good measure, it has a third arm coming out of the back for some reason. You know, the thing is impervious to blasters and lightsabers, except in very certain spots that Anakin found. The stories, you know, really cool. They capture it and take it back to Coruscant because Palpatine's decided he's going to clone this thing and it gets out and goes after him. Kind of in a later interview, Filoni has kind of mentioned and hinted that it can sense dark energy and that it was going to kill Palpatine. It's just a cool design. It showed up later in the comics um, in the Kylo Ren Age of Resistance, those kind of prequel comics they did to the sequels where they found like there was a planet worshiping these things. The way it's presented in the Clone Wars is almost like a Godzilla type monster where it's so big and overbearing to them. Almost kind of also a demigod almost too, right? One of these things. such, Such a power Powerful force that you could see people worshiping it, and mm-hmm. fearing it, and uh, yeah, I, I looked at the Zilla Beast was one of the ones I thought of too, just because it's kind of unique. Mm-hmm. It's not something we see a lot in Star Wars. Yeah, Beth, what do you got? Now that I've seen the first episode of The Mandalorian season two, and say crate dragon because I've read a lot of books with crate dragons in them, and yeah. that is not what I was expecting. No, that was damn. I yeah, was expecting um, some big lizards, and it was a giant ocean of desert snake. But it was still a big dragon. It was, and it was also still just a big lizard too. Like we only we didn't even see the. We lizard. only saw the neck. The crate dragon is a famous monster to Star Wars fans, but not to normals. To to casuals now, everyone knows what, what a crate dragon is because of that amazing scene. But I mean, probably its biggest exposure before was Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah. Yeah, or either that or just the skeleton of one in A New Hope, you know. The normals didn't know what the hell that was No, when they watched it. And I went, is that supposed to be, is that the whole body of the crate Dragon? Is that just part of the crate Dragon? But now seeing one in action, they are so much bigger and monstrous than I ever thought in any of the books that I'd ever read. It's scarier. In Kenobi... Obi-Wan fights a Kangen crate, which is supposed to be the big monster, and I didn't picture it that big. I never once thought it was on Drogon size level. Right. Yeah, I pictured him kind of as big as like, what is that, the Rika or whatever from Attack of the Clones? Like, maybe a little bigger, but not like... See, I, I guess I'm different. I've always thought they were these behemoths, you know, um, uh, out in the desert. Which is why I was I was always kind of disappointed in games and stories that let you kill one because I felt like they were they were kind of these immortal because I don't think a Tuscan would fear a Nexu type thing I don't think a yeah. Tuscan would fear something the size of the size of a an elephant like it, it's 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 supposed to be these enormous huge monstrous legendary creatures but what I I I'll say what I thought the Mandalorian did incredibly well is uh, that is not the great dragon I had in mind. Uh, my whole life that was cooler no it was much cooler so i don't think it is i don't think it is exactly the crate dragon we've been presented before i think it is a fairly new vision of a crate no, dragon because if you if you look at drawings and depictions and legends they just look like very large lizards but what i loved was not even necessarily the design but the it's uh how it attacked you know the fact that it's kind of a cross between a dragon and a dune sandworm it's a tremor yeah it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, comparing it to tremors it's it's a it's a graboid 
Yeah, when they uh, said you can't fly over it because they'll feel the vibrations. I was like, oh, you got to get on a rock. I know how this works. Yeah. Yeah. And then it comes out of the top of a rock. (laughs) So I just had a couple I wanted to to bring up. Uh, They're not as exciting. I'm a big fan of the the Vorntz gear and their cousins, the uh, Voxen. Voxen? Voxen? The Vorntz gear are a canine-like animal uh, that I believe Timothy Zahn introduced. Yep. In the uh, Thrawn novels, um, which are basically a Jedi hunting dogs, uh, is, is basically what they are. I believe Talon Card, who was the the crime lord in those original Zahn books, uh, had a pair of them. Didn't he? Or they like Sturm and Drang, I think they were called. Uh-huh. Yes. I believe um, were his pets. What I like about them is they're, they're creatures that the Jedi actually, they've actually shown Jedi fearing at times, which I always thought was interesting. But then... Even scarier is the Voxen, and the Voxen are a crossbreed created by the Vong, where they bred a, a the the Vornskir with an animal native to the Vong that's poisonous. If I remember, isn't this what t- isn't isn't the Voxen what took down Anakin Solo? Yeah, because it's right? got the what it's, spits acid and it has a poison tail and all sorts. Poison, of- yeah, yeah. They're this these grotesque beast but i just remember as much as i kind of disagree with the decision to kill anakin solo i do remember that scene being terrifying and i do remember the beasts themselves being very scary because of everyone's reaction to them and uh yeah they're just this breed of dogs that hunt people down they're considered a reptile hound and i wanted to throw out one special mention to a creature that we don't know much about but i think we would be reminisce and that is the summa veramoth Better known as that big ass metal thing that tried to eat the Falcon mm-hmm. uh, in Solo. Don't know much about that thing, that big tentacle octopus thing in space to get sucked into the mall. But man, it was awesome. And yes, it should have been the cover of like an Iron Maiden album. <laughs> like I said, this week we read Splinter of the Mind's Eye for people who don't know. We talked about it last time, but Splinter of the Mind's Eye was the first Star Wars sequel. In 1970, I guess it would have been 74 or 75 when Lucas was putting Star Wars together. He hired science fiction writer Alan Dean Foster to write the adaptation of Star Wars. But Lucas put his name on it, so he basically hired Alan Dean Foster to ghostwrite it. That book came out before Star Wars came out uh, as an attempt to drum up some excitement for the film in the sci-fi community. Part of the deal that he made with Foster, though, was, all right, I'll put my name on this, but you get to write the first sequel. In 1978, so just a year after Star Wars came out, we get Splinter of the Mind's Eye, the first official sequel and... Yes, Heir to the Empire may be the Big Bang, but this is the first Expanded Universe book. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you a little summary, and then we can talk about it. Set two-ish years after A New Hope, Luke and Leia, along with R2 and 3PO, on their way to kind of a rebel recruitment summit, crash land on the planet Mimban. They find themselves in a mining town where they pretend that Leia is Luke's servant to fit in. We're going to talk about that a lot later. And discover that the Empire has a secret energy mine on the planet. They meet an old woman named Hala, who is not only Force-sensitive, but also feels it in Luke. But not Leia, because, well, it's 1978. Hala gives them a shard of the Dark Crystal. Sorry, wrong podcast. Hala gives them a shard of the Kyber Crystal, a mystical gem that enhances Force powers. Our heroes make a deal with Hala. They help her find the rest of the crystal, and she will help them get off the planet. Luke and Leia then, for some reason, get into a playful fight in the mud that honestly feels more like foreplay than combat and are arrested by stormtroopers for making a scene. In custody, they meet Imperial Captain Supervisor Grammel, reminding me that even the first Star Wars novel had an uninteresting Imperial officer I didn't care about as one of the main characters. (laughs) 
The rebels are stripped of their gear and placed into a cell with two drunken yuzum named Ki and Hin. Yes, Hin, which is one letter off from a notable missing character in this book that I'll explain later. Hala, using the Force, helps Luke, Leia, and their cellmates escape. They steal a vehicle and head to the temple of Bomojima, where Hala thinks the crystal is. On their journey through the swamps, they encounter a giant worm, who tries to eat them, and Luke and Leia, in their escape, discover a small underground city. There, they meet another group of natives, the Kowei, whose champion Luke defeats in single combat to earn their respect. And I also believe that makes Luke Black Panther now. <laughs> Pretty soon, Grammel shows up with someone else in tow, Darth Vader, Lord of the Sith, who Luke already knew was there because he felt it in the Force. The Kowei join forces with our heroes, kind of Ewok style, to battle the incoming Imperials, which they do battle, kind of Ewok style. Um, the rebels escape, and Vader kills Grammel for incompetence. In the future, Vader will rely on the old Chokey Chokey to handle this kind of thing, but here he just cuts the guy in half. Luke, Leia, and some of their new friends get to the temple and locate the Kyber Crystal, where they are attacked by some lizard snake thing, because you can't go anywhere in this book without some random animal trying to kill you. Vader arrives and pulls a bit of the ceiling down on Luke, immobilizing him. Leia picks up Luke's lightsaber and faces off against Vader and does, let's be honest, way too well. But he does mess her up pretty bad, but one of the Yuzum wounded by Vader, uses his dying breath to free Luke from the rubble. Leia tosses Luke the lightsaber, because this is man's work, damn it. And Luke duels with Vader again. But again, this goes way too well. <laughs> but then Vader tries to win it uh, by throwing a glowing ball of power or something at Luke, kind of like a little Hayuken, but it doesn't work. And uh, Luke unleashes hell on the man the author doesn't know used to be Luke's father. So that's, does that make him Luke's father in this book? I don't know. Anyway, so Luke cuts off Vader's arm. Oh, yeah, that by the way, that happens. Luke just cuts off Vader's arm, just clean off. Whoop. But then Vader stands up, uh, grabs his saber in his offhand and comes at Luke. Young Skywalker, sure he is doomed, turns to the woman who the author didn't know was his sister, but really is his. Anyway, Luke turns to her and says, I'm sorry, Leia. I loved you. And then Vader, one armed, but ready to cut the little twerp in half. Stumbles a little. You know, it's hard to keep your balance with a limb missing. And he just kind of, um, he just kind of falls into a pit. Um, yeah. Luke can feel through the force that Vader isn't dead. Uh, and then he collapses, wounded from the fight. And Hala gives Luke the crystal and Luke kind of hugs it and it engulfs him at a light. And Foster, he like makes a reference directly to St. Elmo's fire, which I thought was very odd. And then Luke comes back to life. And then Luke, Leia, R2-3PO, and their new friend Hala, whom we all know will become a major character in the Star Wars saga going forward head out to find a way off of Mimbin, the end. When I suggested us going back to read Splinter of the Mind's Eye, I knew it would be the very first Star Wars sequel, uh, that the beginning of the, I knew it was the beginning of the expanded universe, and I also knew, five years before the reveal of their actual relationship, there, was, there might be some hot twin-on-twin -twin flirting. What I didn't realize was this. The main thing this book should be known for is this is the one where Luke pimp-slaps Leia. <laughs> Thoughts? <laughs> Okay, so Leia kind of has it coming in this book because oh, she is she is just awful. Okay, disclaimer for the Execute Chapter 66 listeners, we do not condone violence against women, no matter what they say. As a woman, I am allowed to say this. That's true, yes. You know how in like action movies, they always have to, whenever there's, a, they always have to have like a female bad guy to square off against the female hero? like in a team book. So that way it's two women beating each other up. Um, so you don't get the image of a guy beating a woman off. That's what Beth is here for. <laughs> she's our, she's our black widow. 
she she's got it coming. She's just terrible in this book. I don't know what early script Alan Dean Foster was working off of. Well, he wasn't. He was coming. He was working off the movie. I no, I thought he was writing this while it was still filming. Actually, it might it might have been. You're correct. It might it might have been. Yeah. So he he was working from what I understand off an early draft yeah. of the script. So I guess they lightened Leia up a little bit later in the drafts because this is not the Leia from the first movie. I don't know. She, you know, is pretty sarcastic and mean to them throughout the whole movie. I mean, at the end, she smiles and gives them a, you know, medal, but... She's tough, but in this, she's petty. She's a dick. She's she's actually... The biggest problem with her in this book is she's all over the place. Yeah. In some scenes, she's a coward. She, sometimes Foster's trying to play her as someone who has PTSD because of uh, the, her torture of the death. She seems more traumatized by her torture of the Death Star than she does by her planet blowing up. Mm-hmm. When uh, the Force Awakens novelization came out, and they made a big stink because Alan Dean Foster was doing the novelization. Uh, I remember talking to Dave about it, and he said, uh, the characters are just off. The characters are just all off model. And rereading this, I was like, I actually know, don't know if Foster's ever been on model with the Star Wars characters. <laughs> like, these aren't right either. Here's the main thing about Leia I highlighted. She says at one point, swear it, she demanded, her voice that of a steel kitten. <laughs> <laughs> that is bothersome. This is also a man writing this book. And I think the way that Leia reads in this book, and I don't know anything about Alan Dean Foster, Reads very much like a science fiction writer in 1978 writing a woman. Yeah, it, it does read like a man who doesn't know how to write women, which was pretty much all science fiction writers up until the last, what, 30 years? Certain point, yeah, up to a certain point. But it just, it felt like he just, uh, he couldn't figure out what to do with Leia. Yeah, she's tough. But again, she's not tough in this. And she's uh, she's very petty at one point. At one point, like... She shoots somebody and someone tries to give Luke credit for it. She's like, no, I did that. Oh, when she hits someone with an axe. By the way, Leah also throws an axe in this book, <laughs> which is crazy. Which is what a career in politics pre- prepares you for. Yeah, she's also a very good uh, Y-wing pilot, apparently, <laughs> as well. T- to get into kind of a bigger conversation, just to start us off. This book is old. I mean, this book is almost as old as me and Beth. It's actually older than Ryan. This book is literally older than Ryan. So... I want you to go back in time, purge everything Star Wars. I mean, literally everything Star Wars from your brain, except for A New Hope. Not Jedi, not Empire, none of that existed. All you have is Star Wars. Is this a satisfying sequel to Star Wars? With nothing else, you know nothing else, just you saw the movie Star Wars or read the book Star Wars, maybe. And then you read this. Is this a satisfying sequel or is it just, to me, seems really, really tiny? It doesn't feel like a sequel. It feels like a a small chapter in what would have been a sequel, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't feel like a complete story to me if we were going to a sequel. Until we got to the last 10 10 pages. Which it went off the rails. (laughs) Like, this is the journey to get to the MacGuffin you need for the rest of the story. You know, like, something happens, we need the crystal, here's the part of the book where we go get the crystal, and then the climax happens later. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the Hobbit. This should be the, just be the Hobbit, right? Right. <laughs> like, because um, it is. It's under two hundred pages. It's super short. I mean, it's partially short because there's not seventy five pages of dwarves singing in um, <laughs> Bilbo's house. But I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, it, it doesn't. You're right. It doesn't feel like a full sequel. It. But what is strange is you get to the end of this book and like 
they've got the kyber crystal. They've got this woman who has Jedi powers. They could have been helpful going forward, you know, but like there's never. Now, I wanted to point out when this book was made, part of the deal for this book was that if Lucas wanted to, he could make it into a movie. Two out of the three cast members had already signed on to do a second movie, but guess which one hadn't? (laughs) It's a pretty easy guess. The one who doesn't appear. So there's no Han Solo in this simply because they weren't sure if Harrison Ford was going to be in the second movie. (laughs) So they decided to pretty much ignore Han and Chewie for the entire book. I think he's mentioned early on in it in the in the flashbacks or whatever, or when Leia's basically, they're recounting to you some of the things that happened in the first book. So I think the characterizations are kind of off all the way around, right? Like, it's not just Leia. No, it's it's all of them. Luke is crazy in this because he talks at one point about he studied other cultures and other planets on his uncle's farm in Tatooine. No, he did not. <laughs> yeah, this is not farm boy Luke. What? No. Yeah. He calls himself a farm boy several times, but it doesn't quite live up to it. He he is moisture farming and hanging out in Tashi Station, picking up power converters. He is not studying other cultures. He doesn't know how to speak other languages. Yeah, I mean, we have to remember this was written if you if you just take Star Wars as kind of this pulp, you know, movie that it was, right? What I like to call an elevated B movie. Uh, in the same way, uh, I would say that, you know, Indiana Jones is or even what Tarantino does, right, where they take the trappings and the cliches of of B movies and they elevate them to make a great story, great product, but still incorporating the fun parts of those things. Splinter of the Mind's Eye to me, and we'll see this if we ever get to the Han Solo or Orlando novels, just feels like, a, you know, it's just a pulpy science fiction book, <laughs> you know? It's just kind of a pulpy science fiction book that stars characters from this movie we saw. I, I found the quote I was looking for. Yes, Luke admitted modestly. I used to study a lot about certain worlds back on my uncle's farm on Tatooine. <laughs> it was my only scape and educational as well. <laughs> that is not Luke. <laughs> One thing I'll say about Luke's characterization is his constant ogling of Leia and <laughs> thinking thoughts about oh her. Oh my God. He's very <laughs> on brand for the Skywalker family. I was like, there's Anakin's kid. <laughs> okay, first of all, it's very clear that uh, Lucas did not know that they were going to be brother and sister until he, he, he made that decision fairly late in the game. There was no way for Foster to know that. Yeah. So you've got your hero and your princess, and now. Yes, A New Hope sets up, I think, more sexual tension between her and Han, clearly. But if Han's not in the story, you got our hero, you got our princess. They actually use the phrase in here, I, I, I didn't mark it, I should have, where Luke describes what he's feeling as Leia as unrequited love. And I was like, oh, gross. <laughs> oh, gross. Like, not even the sister thing. You're right, though. There's a very kind of Anakin, like, you know, she doesn't like me, but she's gonna. Um. Oh, I've, I've got one highlighted here. Awkwardly pressed up against him, the princess seemed to take no notice of their proximity. In the dampness, though, her body heat was near palpable to Luke, and he had to force himself to keep his attention on what he was doing. That'd be gross if they weren't related. Yeah. I don't want the word palpable to be used in any Star Wars book. (laughs) It has no place. It's something to make fun of and to point fun of, but at the same time, you can't you can't fault Foster. <laughs> like I told you guys, it, it it's not the book's fault or the writer's fault that this is this stuff is weird. Yeah. But it's yeah. weird. I, I was struck watching it that it doesn't completely not work in the Star Wars universe. No, I mean, for that time frame. <laughs> the last 20 pages aside, which we'll get to. 
it just, uh, uh, I, I felt like in general, like not as particularly exciting view of the Star Wars galaxy, but a fairly realistic one, a fairly functional one. You know? One thing that kept sticking out to me was he had to plug in his lightsaber a lot. Which, a lot. <laughs> I mean, that thing was constantly dying, which makes sense. <laughs> He's got an iPhone. He's got a Force iPhone. But I was thinking about it. Like, I don't know if I hate that. Like, it could add some drama to the Star Wars universe if every once in a while your lightsaber started blinking out and you kind of had to tap on it like a flashlight <laughs> to get some extra juice. Well, kyber crystals weren't inside lightsabers at that time. They were a thing outside, hanging out in temples, so power got to come from somewhere. I mean, there are early, if you look, of course, at the early Macquarie sketches of Luke, the lightsaber is tethered. Well, yeah, the proto-sabers from the old Knights of the Old Republic and some of the older books are... And, and yeah, in the uh, Dawn of the Jedi series and stuff, is the, the lightsabers were actually, you know, uh, uh, was their Oculus Rift and not the Oculus Quest. They are actually, they have a line running from the saber to a power pack on their belt. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it, I, I thought it was interesting. We started off with Luke and an X-Wing and they did kind of break it automatically where all of a sudden the Y-Wing was a two-person ship. Which is not in a new... I know it becomes that in other stuff, but it's not in A New Hope. I had to go look back and, and look that up because I was like, wait a minute, is that a two-person... Wait, is it? I think this is the first... I think this is the first time it was described as a two-person ship. So they did end up making in the role-playing games and in the canon, there were like a couple different models of Y-Wings. And one was kind of the one that was designed to carry a, sec- a gunner, a second passenger. But that was definitely not something that was around then in A New Hope. It's just one person per Y-Wing. So Hala, what did you think of Hala? She, did you think that, to me, what Hala felt like was Foster trying to create Yoda? Yes. Just a crackier version of Yoda. <laughs> the same, but, but again, like, think, there's no Empire and there's no Jedi, right? There's no other story but this one and the one before it. And so the next step, logically, is he's got to find a new master. And that's what Foster does in this book, is he finds Luke someone to continue his training, basically, right? Um, although Luke and Leia are both already, I mean, again, Leia has no force powers or is not force sensitive at all. And Hala can't detect it because again, George Lucas didn't even know there there's Luke's pretty powerful in this actually, isn't he powerful, but not powerful enough to lift a piece of rock. Yeah. I guess it depends on the moment. <laughs> yeah, I guess it does. I guess it does depend on the moment. Oh, here was a line that I really didn't like from Leia. She's about to square off with Darth Vader. Like, Leia literally fights Darth Vader with a lightsaber and lasts for more than two seconds. And she says the line, "For the Force give me leave to kill you before I die. <laughs> that's like a line out of a Conan novel. <laughs> right? Like, like, that's, it's literally like a by Crom away from being just like a Robert E. Howard book. Surprised they didn't have her get like a chainmail bikini. <laughs> Go ahead and get that out. Oh, okay. So let's talk about that. They get to this planet and they crash land and all oh, that's fine. Okay. That's pretty standard stuff. They crash land. And then one, why did they have to have the droids with them this whole time? It just kind of drags the whole thing down. <laughs> like it, 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 it they does, never- but it's because they didn't have leave to put in any other characters at that point. That's true. They land and they, they find their way into town and their way of fitting in is for Luke to pretend that Leia's his slave. Right. So he's a minor <laughs> and he has a slave who's also dressed as a minor. So why would anyone believe that? What I couldn't figure out was what did that accomplish? <laughs> 
What did they get away with by pretending to be like it didn't solve it? It didn't do anything. I mean, you'd think that would go around town a lot faster. Like, did you see the new guy who's got the cute slave with him? (laughs) I was like, this furthers the plot. Absolutely zero. All it gives me is a moment where with no warning, Luke slaps the shit out of Leia. (laughs) Uh, Maybe there weren't female minors. I don't know. It seemed like there were, though. He came up with it on the spot. But he was just like, yeah, that's my servant. So you know how you know how in movies we're like, you know, you'll see the, they'll have the, the character and the girl that he likes, but like, you know, they're not a thing yet, you know, in an action movie. And then a bad guy will come by and she'll kiss. She'll be like, quick, kiss me. And they kiss so that their faces are hidden. So when the bad guy goes by, he doesn't recognize them. Right. Mm-hmm. It's happened in a million movies. This is what this is in this book. Instead, Luke just punches her. <laughs> <laughs> it's taking a different route i guess that's that's something different i could not believe it when i read it it just happens out of nowhere actually what i couldn't get past more was halla comes up to them and she's trying to convince them that she has the force and she moves a spice shaker with her mind at that point we didn't know what spice really was but now that we do know what spice is i'm like they just leave spice laying on tables what Sprinkle a little on top of your pizza. It's, a, it's an old mellow mushroom recipe. <laughs> Just uh, They have that scene where he slaps her and then they get outside and she's like, why did you slap me? Rightfully so. And then they end up rolling around in the mud. They have a, a mud wrestling competition when they're trying to stay hidden. And so the whole book turns on this moment where they get arrested by the Imperials. And I'm not wrong, right? They're just kind of playing in the mud for fun or are they they're play fighting like it's so bizarre they're, they're fighting like like five-year-olds and it's such a weird turn for the book to take to that's how they get captured <laughs> they're basically having foreplay in the middle of the road by throwing mud at each other and they get it just i was like why is that your decision <laughs> at what point in the creative process we're like you know what'll get them busted i like this girl i'm gonna shove some mud in her face this book doesn't have a lot of story to it. I, I remember this book being a lot more kind of complex and weird than it was. I think the different weirdness we felt, because I remember it being weirder in that I read it, I think, I know my dad had it when I was growing up, so I was probably like 10 when I read it. And I already knew a lot of Star Wars at that point. So reading it, I was yeah. like, what is this? This isn't Star Wars. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. You know, I asked that question earlier, but it is hard to imagine if this was literally the second Star Wars story you ever read, what would it feel like? You know, because, yeah, I didn't read this until high school. So I had I, I don't think I read this until after I had read Heir to the Empire. Yeah, I definitely didn't. So so this was to me, it was going back and, and checking, finding this book and checking it out and just being, you said, weirded out by how it doesn't work anymore or how it didn't fit, but it, I don't, but, but, and I, and I felt all that. And then this time I was just kind of like, Oh, this is just kind of a, you know, I don't know, maybe B minus star Wars book. <laughs> yeah. It, it fit in way more than I thought it would, but even the Luke and Leia stuff, like, you know, if it's before empire strikes back, you can kind of see that from Luke still. The thing that did feel weirdest to me, like I said, was I thought the characters were terrible. Vader is very chatty. <laughs> <laughs> Like he is, he is talking in ways that Vader does not speak. Hang on, I've got a highlight. You know, Skywalker, I had a difficult time finding out that it was you who shot up my Tie Fighter above the Death Star station. It's casual Vader. It's casual. He's it's it's casual Friday Vader. <laughs> Anakin didn't even talk that way. 
I try to like imagine he was talking like that, him saying that in the voice too, where it'd be like, you know, <laughs> it just doesn't work one bit. It absolutely does not work. He he acted more like a the head of a SWAT team, or like he was very said he was very casual in the way he spoke, but he was also I don't know how to explain it. It was it, it again he felt off too. Mm-hmm. He didn't even necessarily feel evil. <laughs> Yeah, it was just some dude doing his job. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's what it reminded me of, and this again may be Lucas's fault um, a little bit. One thing that once you've seen all the Star Wars movies will always feel weird is when you get to uh, A New Hope and uh, Ben and Vader are fighting off uh, in the room off to the side from the uh, hangar bay. Ben says, "You can't win, Darth." Like it's his name. Like it's his first name. Yeah. And I almost feel like I think Foster kind of thinks that this is this guy named Darth Vader. <laughs> That's one thing I wish they would special edition out. I wish they would get rid of, of Obi-Wan calling him Darth there because it seems really dumb because uh, no one does that to any other Darth in any other Star Wars thing ever. I do think one awesome thing if it was stayed in continuity with the movies. I mean, how cool would it be if when Empire Strikes Back starts Luke just has like a big red crystal around his neck on a gold chain for no apparent reason. <laughs> like. So let's, I mean, let's talk about the end real quick. Get through the whole book and like Vader's mentioned a little bit, right? In Luke's thinking in Lumor inside Luke's head and everything, I guess, right? Or maybe in Leia's. And then he just shows up. And does nothing. Well, he does get his arm cut off. Doing something though? I mean, it's not nothing like not only is he off brand character wise, but I, 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 Ryan, I know you're not a huge fan of uh, rampaging Vader through the hallway at the end of uh, Rogue One. Isn't this just like the opposite? (laughs) I mean, all we've seen him do is beat some old man that's been living in the desert and get shot down by some kid and a smuggler like, you know, a new hope Vader is not the most awesome warrior in the world on screen. Let's just, I want to talk about something else. This isn't exactly related to the book, but I want to bring this up. I've talked many times about there, there are certain things in the original movies that people consider sacrosanct that I actually don't like. Do you think if Lucas could change it, he would go back and not have Obi-Wan disappear like that? Because no other Jedi does that. They disappear after they die, maybe. But the fact that he just goes poof, is not something that ever comes back in any other any other Star Wars story. I don't know. It's, it's so hard to think of that scene. If Vader stabs him and his dead body is just laying there. Yoda disappears into a, a fluffy sparkly cloud. Qui-Gon's body just lays there. Until they burn it. <laughs> <laughs> you know how you could fix it. You could have that scene happen just like it does. But then there's like a quick shot of Obi-Wan just like peeking his head around the corner and that he did it like <laughs> Luke style from last, from uh, last gen. <laughs> and then he gets blown up on the Death Star. That would be funny though, if he did disappear, but then was trapped on the Death Star when it blew up. It's like, uh, that's, that's really at the end. That's really Ben talking to Luke over, over the comic. <laughs> yeah, it, it cuts to him and you see him leaning over the microphone. Right. Yeah. I think that may be my new personal headcanon. Cause there's nothing that dispels it. Use the force, Luke. What? 
Somebody get that old man off our channel. We can't hear. <laughs> yeah. I have a, a lot of soft spot for this book because of its place, because, because of what it did begin. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but if you get the Kindle version, not even the Kindle version, if you just get a version of it that was printed uh, it, uh, when it was, because this book um, you know, came out and then for a long time, uh, you could only kind of find it at used uh, bookstores. Um, mine still has the stamp from the, the bookworm on Hugh Howell Road in Tucker, Georgia. Then uh, in the mid-90s, when the EU started really ramping up and then the rumors of the prequel started coming, they reprinted a bunch of these old books like the Brian Daly Han Solo novels, the L. Neil Smith uh, Lando novels, and Splinter of the Mind's Eye. And in it, Lucas wrote a, an introduction. And I've read it before on Needless Things, so I'm not going to talk about it, but uh, I'm not going to read it. But basically what it says was that he designed, he wanted Star Wars to be told by many storytellers. It basically set up the whole idea of the expanded universe, basically said, you know, it's cool to see what other people are doing in this galaxy right as I'm getting ready to dip back into it. And at that time, he was working on the special editions and seriously considering the prequels. So Splinter of the Mind's Eye was part of Lucas's plan from the beginning. He wanted he liked the idea of setting up a world for other people to tell stories in. So when people that's it's just something I would always pull out when people would try to dismiss the expanded universe. And, and say that none of it counted or or it was a bunch of junk, I'd be like, yeah, but it's kind of what he wanted. <laughs> you know, he wanted this pulpy universe to keep existing and to tell different stories in it. If he knew they were brother and sister, highly irresponsible not to tell Foster. I, I don't know that he knew that at the time, though. He did not. He absolutely did not. Because otherwise, ew. So so in Empire, there is the that boy's our last hope. No, there is another. He's talking about Leia. Oh, that's we, that's this, a whole different he, conversation. Saving for uh, from a certain point of view. Okay, okay, we'll save that because there are so many things to go over in that book. Yeah, and we have the 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 I guess the Kowei, the Kawaii, uh -huh. Kowei. They kind of fought like Ewoks. Yeah, like they set up this trap to fight him, and they're like dropping stalactites on the Imperials and stuff. And I was like, this is very Endor. They're like little um, ninja so. Ewoks, all something like appear <laughs> and then yeah. disappear again. Yeah, yeah. And was it, I'm trying to remember? Wasn't there a very sad storyline about the Yuzum all being drunks? Yes. Yeah they were they were slaves and they were drunk and yeah that was when they were like like drinking booze off the ground and stuff like oh no no ground. that's the uh, the Yuzum are the ones who fight with them. It's oh, okay. the greenies. The oh, greenies, yeah, that's yeah, what the they're called. The greenies oh, are the ones who are like begging for drinks and drinking liquor off the floor. And it's, it's actually really upsetting. Isn't greenies what you call like a quaalude in the 70s? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I didn't take I, quaaludes in the 70s. I think you're right. It's like some, it's, it's a code. It was a code for some type of pill, mm -hmm. whether it was ludes or, or whatever. I don't know. Uh, yeah, so that was the greenies. Okay, that were the sad, alcoholic, almost Native American-ish type characters. Yeah, in a way. I mean, it was very. They they were the groveling kind of bothersome, problematic creatures. Oppressed minority. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, My biggest problem with Leia is not the the bitchiness. It's how wrong her character was written in that. She says that she was drawn to the rebellion because the Empire 
push down art. And she was politically naive. So she says, she, uh, I was pu- as naive as you are, but creativity and, and uh, vitality suffer through a, a harsh government. Um, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, that was, that's again, e- even taking everything else out of it again, even forgetting everything else we know and just thinking about these two things, it still doesn't fit. It still doesn't work. Even no matter what version of the script you had, she was still a Senator. <laughs> and you're right. Maybe he's not, maybe he hasn't seen the movie at all by the time he's working on this. Well, no, I mean, the movie yeah, isn't out by the time he's working on this. He's working off a, a early draft of the script, but not not for not for Splinter of the Minds. Oh, yeah. Splinter of the Minds. He's making he's he's writing, you know, a sequel to that book. Um he probably started it right away, but it came out a year after. So he, you know, he he'd at least had seen the movie by the time this hit shelves. I even did the thing, you know, like any Star Wars fan does. I try to put the actors' voices when I'm reading it, and I I couldn't hear Carrie Fisher saying any of these things. No, um, I couldn't hear James Earl Jones saying any of these things. Like I was trying to read the Vader dialogue, going like, that doesn't work at all. <laughs> Once again, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I when I walked it, but when I sat down to read this book again, I read the whole thing today. The only thing I remembered was Luke cutting off Vader's arm, and then him. Tripping down a pit because <laughs> because go back and read it. Nothing really happens. Oh, no, I I reread it really recently. <laughs> and he just falls. Vader is coming to finish Luke off. Luke turns to the woman sister that he loves <laughs> and confesses his love, although she's unconscious, so she doesn't hear it. So it's a cop out there, but that's probably for the best. He tells her he loves her while she's asleep. He comes over and then Vader is wobbling. Because Luke and Leia have kicked the shit out of him so much, apparently, that Vader's wobbling and he just takes like two steps wrong to the left <laughs> and then falls in a hole. Although if they had filmed it, that would give a really good like visual of him falling and doing the no. no! <laughs> it, I'll say this reading it. It made me laugh. <laughs> like it really did make me laugh. Like didn't make me fear Vader, but he's like, he raises, you know, he's only got one arm and he raises his blade up. And then I think it literally says like, he takes like two stray steps to the left or something. Yeah. I, I, it's all I remembered. I remembered that. And I remember them Luke going like, he's not dead. And I'm like, of course he's not dead, uh, but I'm, but I'm reading this in 1995. So, well, uh, even uh, reading I, it when I was 10, by that point I'd seen right. empire. So yeah, yeah, he's not dead. What I did find interesting though, was how, if you look at this book, again, in the context of when it came out, of how maybe someone in, a, in the science fiction community would have seen Star Wars, which is just this kind of goofy, pulpy sci-fi stuff, you know, that it wasn't necessarily this big epic that we now think of it as, that it was just, you know, here, here's this one cool story about a space wizards and a princess, and now I'm going to do another one about space wizards and a princess. And I, I don't know, I, I just, I, I wonder how, from someone like Foster, who was an experienced science fiction writer, I wonder how he viewed it as opposed to how we view it now. I know it's impossible for us to really know. Uh, like I said, this book is literally, I think that my paperback I have in my hands literally older than Ryan. It's always been hard for me to figure out this book because I've never been able to figure out really how it was received. Or did anybody read it? I mean, surely they did. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it comes out, what, a year after A New Hope, roughly, that's when the rest of the merch starts hitting. 
And so there was a big push at that time. But we're adults. I mean, I don't know. There was this whole cycle of what for, you know, these seven books there in the in the 70s and 80s that were technically Star Wars expanded universe, but had a very different. It's not that their vision of the world was all that different, but they had a different vision of what type of stories to be telling. Well, I feel like back then, like the tie in book, you know, was a pretty big thing that people did. Not that they were popular, but I mean, you would have like tie in books to the A team and stuff like that. There were these kind of weird, cheap other stories, and lots of properties were treated like that. And it wasn't necessarily made to create a universe or canon or anything like that. It was just some more disposable entertainment with some IPs that you had access to. But have you read the Brian Daly books, the original Han Solo books? It's been forever, but I have. Because they they feel stylistically much closer to this. And yeah, they feel, you know, to me, they don't feel like cheap throwaways. They don't feel like something someone just did for cash. They feel like just kind of fun, little pulpy B story, you know, B level science fiction books. Mm -hmm. If they didn't have Han Solo and Chewbacca in them, because in those books, the only characters are Han Solo and Chewbacca. And they don't feel again. It's just, I think they're just trying to figure out what kind of, they're still telling the pulpy stories that star Wars is based on in a way. (laughs) Um, And uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird period that I'd like to dip back into at some point. I'd love for us down the road, maybe to, to check out like uh, Han Solo at Star's End. I don't know what I was expecting, I guess, <laughs> going back and reading, because it's probably been 30 years since I've read this book. I, I was, uh, like I said, I was 10 when the first time I read it, and I remember it being really weird. But then, uh, I mean, I was 10. I was like, Ewoks are cute. Here's a book. This book Ewoks is weird, but uh, I, I, I didn't remember it being quite so twin touchy. Yeah. That wouldn't have stood. I, I I actually thought it was kind of mundane. There's not a lot. I mean, it's only 199 pages, the paperback, and it has like three beats. Yeah, I was 64% through with what my Kindle said I had before it got to the end of the book. And then it said, yeah. here's some stuff you might also want to read. <laughs> I'm like, wait, but yeah. the book is over. I mean, it's a good 20% of going across the lake, so... It goes fast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it just felt um, uh, it really feels like like three things happen in the whole book. Uh, like I said, discounting everything else, it still doesn't feel like a worthy sequel uh, to Star Wars. But in the greater context of the expanded universe, it's not a bad little story. I just I can't wrap my head around it because, uh, like I said, he cuts Vader's arm off. No! Well, that's Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Uh, if you haven't read it before, you're probably not the type of person that will. <laughs> But, you know, it's a cool, it's a cool, uh, at the very least, it's a cool artifact. And it's a very cool start part of Star Wars history. But if you did read it when you were young, go back and read it again. It's different. And if you're lazy, there's also, um, I believe, a comic adaptation as well. There is. Like a four-part comic adaptation. So, Beth, what are we, uh, what are we going to read next time? Uh, Romeo and Juliet. Oh, I mean, uh, Lost Stars by one of all of our favorite Star Wars authors, Claudia Gray. The one Claudia Gray I have not read. Well, time to get to work. Thanks, everybody. And we will talk to you guys very, very soon. Thank you for tuning in. You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at NeedlessThingsPodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh. Roger, roger.